You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, MILF Manor sounds like a parody of a trash reality TV show from 30 Rock or The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or Girls 5 Eva, all Tina Fey shows. Tina Fey clearly loves her trash reality TV shows because no one does a better job of sending them up than Tina Fey does. But MILF Manor is actually a real show on TLC, The Learning Channel, the cable network where we learned about the Duggar family mail-order brides and mail-order grooms, 1,000-pound sisters saying yes to the dress, and so much more. Milf Manor takes place. The action goes down in a mansion on an island in Mexico. Eight hot moms, eight younger men, one shocking twist. Each one of those hot young men is the hot young son of one of those hot moms. First, How the fuck did they cast this show? It's a surprise to the moms when they find out the boys they'll be choosing from, but hopefully not any of the boys they'll actually be choosing themselves are their own sons. How did they keep that under wraps? How did they hide that ball or those balls from those moms? Second, I'm not above watching this show. I will watch this show. So will Badisha Mamata, columnist for The Observer in the UK, who wrote this weekend about the attraction younger men have for older women. Again, hopefully not their own moms, but anything is possible at MILF Manor. And just like people watch car races in hopes of car crashes, I think some people are going to tune into MILF Manor in hopes that it will become Incest Island. That is not why I will be watching, but I will be watching... Mamata, who self-identifies as a woman of a certain age, writes about the appeal of the show. Once you pass 40, you become invisible to men in their 30s while every 20-year-old on the planet notices you, including waiters, security guards, interns, and other women's sons. I can explain it in one word, perimenopause. When wise Mother Nature realizes your ship is sailing, she starts wafting out your erotic pheromones at double strength. And you attract those virile young males who are biologically best able to pollinate the flower. That's Mamata's hypothesis. I am not convinced because you gotta wonder why men in their 30s are immune to the same pheromones that men in their 20s can't resist. Maybe we'll find out watching MILF Manor. I'm sure they'll get into the science. I'm sure they're going to do a deep dive on the science. This is the learning channel after all. I know I learned a lot about the immigration process, watching 90 Day Fiancé. I learned about something else this weekend. I learned about a couple of celebrities. I learned about a particular celebrity couple, Sam Taylor Johnson and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron is an extremely hot, extremely handsome, and extremely successful actor. He's a movie star, co-starred in Bullet Train with Brad Pitt. Sam is a director, successful one, and a MILF, a MILF now, a MILF back when Aaron first met her. I did a little deep dive myself into Aaron and Sam this weekend because there was an unconfirmed rumor boosted and possibly started by a gossip, not columnist, I guess, a gossip TikToker that went viral about Aaron having an affair with one of his co-stars from Bullet Train. I won't say the name of the co-star, but I will say, sadly, it wasn't Brad Pitt. So we were all cheated of those mental images. Backing up to the start of Sam and Aaron's relationship, Sam had been married, divorced, had two kids when she first met Aaron. She was almost 40. He was barely 18. And she just cast him in one of her films, a movie called Nowhere Boy about John Lennon's teenage years, rated 80% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Aaron got the part, the lead, the starring role, John Lennon in Nowhere Boy, after an audition that, for scheduling reasons, had to take place at Sam's home when no one else was there. That was 2008. They started to see each other after the film wrapped. Aaron proposed to Sam in 2009. Sam was clearly pumping out the right pheromones, and they got married in 2012. A long engagement. Love to see it. Always think a long engagement is a good idea. And now Sam and Aaron have two kids of their own. They're still together a decade and change later. He's in his 30s now. She's in her 50s. 
and you'd think people would be happy for them. But no, people suck. Or enough people suck to constantly give us the impression that all people suck. That 23-year age difference, the power imbalance when they first met each other, that bothers some people still. And how about those sexist double standards that don't seem to bother anybody? Does anyone ever really bat an eye at a famous director in his 50s, married to a woman in her 30s, or even her 20s? Some people, in reaction to the Aaron Sam rumors this weekend, condemned all May-December romances as inherently exploitative. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's right. I don't even think this counts as a May-December romance. If you're going to squeeze a whole lifespan into a year and break it into month-long increments, let's say generously, the average lifespan these days, 80 years, divide that by 12, that's 6.66 years a month. So May-December would be someone in their 30s marrying someone who's about to turn 80. 18 would fall in March. 40 falls in June. So this was a March-June romance. Doesn't sound so awful when you put it that way. Just two months apart, unlike May-December, which are six months apart. It would seem a lot of Aaron's fans aren't fans of his marriage, and many reacted to rumors about an affair with a co-star by cheering Aaron on, because these fans of Aaron somehow think Sam should be punished for what she's done, which was to fall in love with a younger man who fell in love with her. That power imbalance people obsess over, if anything, it's flipped. Aaron is arguably more famous now and more powerful now than his wife ever was. And doesn't the amount of time they've been together count for something? A lot of relationships start in ways that make people who aren't in them uncomfortable. And a relationship shouldn't have to last forever to prove its worth or its health. But longevity should count, again, for something. So, yeah, maybe Aaron had an affair. Maybe he didn't. Hopefully, if he had one. Everyone involved was consenting. Still an affair, if it happened, but not a betrayal. You would think fans of Aaron's would be rooting for that kind of affair, and not the betrayal kind. And hey, anyone who roots for betrayals and wants to judge and condemn people for their choices, tune out the unconfirmed online gossip. Tune in to MILF Manor on TLC instead. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your Q, lots of my A, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love, where you will get twice as much Lovecast, more guests, no ads, more questions, also access to the full Savage Love column every week. Joining us on the Magnum, Lena Dune of Ask a Sub returns. We talk about topping from the bottom, bottoming from the top, sex education, and sex educators being censored, driven off social media platforms while porn continues to run amok. All that coming up on today's show. This episode is brought to you by Fabric, making it easy to get high-quality, affordable life insurance for you and your family. Go to meetfabric.com slash savage today. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan Savage. I have a big problem. My man has an eight-inch cock, and I have never really dealt with a cock that was that big before. And this thing keeps happening where I keep bending it with my pussy and it hurts him. And I obviously don't want that. So what happens is sometimes when I'm on top of him, the cock gets sort of mashed up against my pubic bone if I'm not upright enough. And then other times if I'm kind of grinding on his cock, then it gets bent and he gets hurt. And I don't want that. Fucking from behind seems to work pretty well most of the time, except for if there's like a misfire and it sort of gets mashed up against the side and it bends and it hurts. So I need some tips on how to deal with an 8-inch cock that sometimes is prone to bending. How can we stop the bending and stop the pain? Also, I love you, Dan. Goodbye. 
I love you too, but your question is essentially, doctor, doctor, it hurts when I go like this. And the answer is always maybe the first answer, the first and most obvious answer. Maybe don't go like that. Dan, Dan, it hurts when I get on top of my boyfriend and grind down on his giant dick. Well, then maybe you with this boyfriend with that particular dick won't be able to be on top or grind down the way you could with other boyfriends who had smaller dicks, didn't grind up against your cervix or your poop bone. Try different positions. That's the solution here. You have to find positions that work for your particular pussy and his particular dick. If you like being on top, there are ways to make that possible. If this turns into a long, long term relationship and you want to make a little investment in infrastructure, if you want to have an infrastructure week, building some sort of I don't know. I don't want to call it a rack because that sounds too S and M-y, but some sort of frame thing that he can lie at the bottom of and you have things that you can hold on to and pull up and down and you can ride and you can grind without bending or hurting. But when you really want to get that dick slamming in and out of you, you're going to have to figure out the positions that work for you. If you had an infrastructure week. If you invested in a frame, you could also get a sling where he could fuck you, but he could control more easily the depth of penetration if you were in a sling, which are great and fun. And if you have that kind of infrastructure, you can totally make happen for yourself, for him, for your pussy, for his dick. But a big dick, a big dick is great. It can provide sensations uh, that you might not feel otherwise uh, different sensations than smaller dicks that also can provide great sensations might provide, but you're going to have to then make accommodations. And one of the accommodations you're probably going to have to make is letting go of a couple of positions that worked for you, like being on top or grinding and figuring out other ways. Uh, I'm sure the grinding thing is about that gets you off. That makes you calm while you're being fucked. There are other ways to get yourself off, other ways to provide yourself your own clit with the sensation that grinding has provided your clit with in the past with your giant dick new boyfriend, but you're probably not going to be able to grind with him. Doctor, doctor, hurts when I go like this. Don't go like that. Dan, Dan, hurts when I ride like this. Hurts him when I ride like this. Probably not going to be able to ride like that. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old bisexual female in Southern California. I originally found your podcast on recommendation from a friend and hopes to find a question similar to mine. And now that I've listened to 100 episodes and haven't heard it, I thought I'd call in. So I've contracted general herpes about two years ago and have been on a sexual recovery journey ever since. Um, I've always had the desire to attend a sex party or a sex club, but with HSV2, I feel like I've missed my chance to fully experience the side of the kink community. I was wondering if you had any advice for someone like me and how I should approach attending something like that, what's the etiquette, or if I should just let the stream go. We've talked about this a lot. If you listened to 100 episodes and you somehow missed the conversations about group sex, anonymous sex, casual sex, and herpes, wow, you really tiptoed through those love casts. My advice is that people who attend sex parties where they have sex with multiple partners, people who have anonymous sex, casual sex, are kind of volunteering for some risk of exposure to herpes. You as someone with herpes, you're not disqualified from going to public sex environments. You're not disqualified from going to an orgy. And you're not, I don't think, required to disclose something that everybody who's a grown-up at an orgy should just assume, which is that some people at this orgy, just statistically speaking, are going to have this relatively common, easily transmitted through skin-to-skin -skin contact, sexually transmitted infection. And a large number of people who have herpes don't know it. And if the people who don't know it and therefore can't disclose it can be at the orgy, well then, I'm sorry, you, I'm not sorry, you can too. You should take proactive steps to protect your health and the health of your other partners, whether they're known to you, regulars, anonymous, at group sex, one-on-one -on -one sex, which means don't go if you're having an outbreak. Don't go if you're having those tingly feelings in advance of an outbreak. And take the antiretrovirals that can result in you having far fewer outbreaks spaced further apart, shedding less virus when you do have outbreaks if you're not even aware that you're having one. 
proactively take those steps to protect your sex partners and then go to the fucking orgy and you don't have to tell everybody. And this is advice I've given again and again and again, and I'm happy to give it to you, new listener, one more time. This episode is sponsored by Fabric. Are you looking to get your financial future organized? If you don't have life insurance yet, that should be at the top of your list. Got kids? As a dad, I know how stressful it can be to make sure your kids are protected. It's the thing we worry about the most. Fabric by Gerber Life is the easy one-stop shop you need with life insurance and other family finance solutions all in one place. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric's new lower prices could mean potentially significant savings over other providers with great quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated, but Fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience. It's all online and on your time. And if you need extra support, Fabric's team of licensed insurance agents can answer questions along the way. It takes less than 10 minutes to apply, see your quote, and then personalize your quote to fit your family's needs. You could be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Fabric has partnered with Gerber Life, trusted by millions of families like yours for over 50 years. And with over 1,600 five-star reviews on TrustPilot.com, you can feel confident that you're getting a high-quality policy that's perfect for your family. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Fabric was specifically designed to give parents like you, parents like us, affordable term life insurance plus wills, access to college saving funds, and more tools to help protect your family's financial future, all in an easy online experience. Protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash savage. That's meetfabric.com slash savage. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash savage. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Hi, Dan. I'm a cis hat woman in my early 50s, and I've been married for just over 30 years. I've known for a while that I'm unfulfilled in my marriage, but it took a long time to get to a point where I knew what I wanted to do about it. My husband's a good man, but we aren't well matched, and I've always been uh, driven professionally and intellectually. I'm the planner in our marriage, and um, I've always done the finances, planned trips. He's got his own skills, and as I said, he's a good, solid man, but he isn't really curious and is happy to let me plan most everything. I've had some injuries and surgeries over the past 10 years, and I didn't feel great physically for a long time. I gained weight. I didn't feel good about myself. Our sex life went downhill for a long time. He lost interest, and I got tired of feeling like that was one more thing I had to initiate. I took control of my health. I lost quite a bit of weight. I'm still working on it, but um, COVID was tough. But I also finally realized that I have kink interests I never really explored. Um, I'm a spanko and a switch, and that fulfills something important for me. I'm also interested in exploring a dominance and submission. Um, I was honest with my husband from the beginning because I had to explore it ethically, and at first it was difficult, but ultimately he accepted it and knows I need it. The problem is right now we're basically just cohabitating partners. He's lost interest in sex completely, and at first he blamed it on several things, my weight, me wanting kink that he didn't, uh, but finally he admitted he just wasn't interested, and he told me I'm free to do whatever I want and have sex with others, which I haven't yet. Um, that might be great for some people, but not for me, I don't think. I can't have one foot in and one foot out, and I'm tired of feeling old before my time. I haven't lost interest in sex or life, and he seems content to watch TV and do the same things and just let me plan everything, and I'm not. Life is short, and I want to live it to the fullest, and I don't know that I can do that in my marriage. I've discussed it all with my therapist, and it's been tough to get to a point where I don't feel like I'm failing by admitting that I may want out of my marriage, and I tend to take on the emotions of others, which isn't always a good thing. I care about him, and I don't want to hurt him, but I also want, you know, I don't feel like he always cares about hurting me. He seems to want the same life that we've established, me planning everything, taking care of the things I always have, getting my needs met outside the marriage that he's not interested in anymore. And that feels like a half-life to me. Is it selfish to want to make the most of the time I have left, to want to date, have good sex, only take care of myself? We don't have kids, and part of me worries about getting older and being alone, but sometimes I feel alone anyway. I know I'd be giving up stability in a life with someone I've been with for over 30 years, and that's scary, but I don't know. I just... Any, any help you can provide would be appreciated. Part of me wants to tell you to do what you obviously want to do. 
which is divorce your husband and have a new and independent life where you're free to date and freed from the expectations that he seems to still place on you to do all the planning and managing of your shared experiences, whatever they are. There's a conservative part of me, though, that wants to say, like, 30 years is a lot to walk away from. The stability and security of having him there, and you say that he's a good man and that there are things that he does and brings to the relationship that you don't itemize, but I'm going to assume he's not just on the couch watching TV all the time, that although you do the planning, he does the, I don't know, yard work, dishes, cooking, takes care of the cars. He does something of value. He contributes in some way. And growing old with him, having this person by your side that you have this long history with, that has value. And you recognize its value. You worry about letting that go. But you're tempted to let it go. The way you frame needing to let it go is because that's your only option. Because you want to date and have sex. But your husband has told you that you are free to date and have sex with other people, that he's released you from the monogamous expectation. It seems like you haven't released yourself from your reasonable expectations, your ideals around what a marriage should be. And I don't think we talk enough about what a marriage actually becomes over decades, which is a lot of marriages become companionate. A lot of marriages sort of go through this siblingification process. That's a difficult word to say, siblingification process where it becomes less about passion, but still it's family of a different sort, but it's not a marriage with like romance and a, a lot of sex. I, I always think about when I see a picture of a couple that's been married for 70 years, every once in a while there's a picture of a couple in the paper or in the news or going viral on Twitter or Instagram somewhere and they're 90 and they've been married for 70 years and people are like, oh, that's touching and how wonderful and what dedication and commitment. Part of me looks at that picture and goes, they're not fucking still, right? Like there's some point at which they stopped fucking, but they're still married and they're for each other and loving each other in that day-to-day -day way that a married couple loves each other. All the other intimacies other than sex, that kind of romantic passion. Maybe you're just there now with your husband after 30 years. You've reached that state where... It's not about passion. It's not about sex anymore. Well, what is it about? And since you're not forced to choose between having this marriage and everything that it's about and having your adventures and dating and sex with other men too, why make that choice? Or why make that choice right now? You're free to get out there and date. You're free to live an increasingly separate life. You're free to make your own plans and not just plans for him or the both of you. And if while you're out there dating and fucking around and exploring while still having the security of your marriage and your home with your husband, you meet somebody that you do want to be with, that you would like to marry and start the simplification process all over again, you're free to get a divorce then. Why throw away or cash in the, <laughs> what you have now for what you might never find with someone else? So that's my, on the one hand, on the other hand, advice. Like if you look at your husband and you can't stand him and you can't take another minute of being married to this person who's rejected you, who told you that it was your weight, told you that he's not attracted to you anymore, but clearly on some level, hopefully still loves you and doesn't take you for granted and shows you in other ways that he cares. If living with that guy drives you up the wall and you can't do it and remaining in that marriage drives you up the wall and you would rather be alone and dating and fucking around than get a divorce, go be alone, date and fuck around. But again, that little conservative voice in the back of my head is saying, you meet somebody else who's your age, 40, 50, something, 10, 20, 30 years go by and you're going to be where you and your husband are now, most likely not fucking each other's brains out at 80. And so you're free. You're free to get your needs met, to do your Spanko thing, to be the switch, to date other guys, to fuck other guys, and have everything you have with your husband too. If you can adjust your expectations, let go of your ideals about 
what marriage is supposed to be every minute of every day for 50 years, I think you could be happy in your marriage. If you can't let go of those expectations, ideals, or if you just know in your soul, in your gut that you'd be happier alone than having to continue to take care of this man in the ways you've had to take care of him all these years, then go be alone. Godspeed. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Your products, content you create, even your time. Here are just a few of the many features you'll get access to. Appointment scheduling. If your business requires booking and scheduling, Squarespace has the feature for you. Clients can easily see your availability or reschedule if needed, taking the hassle out of coordinating calendars. Email campaigns. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace. Collect email subscribers and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your spicy sauce ingredients like site colors and logo, maybe jokes. Built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. And speaking of analytics, it's time to get serious. Learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective. Improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Were you planning on programming all this yourself? No way you weren't. Squarespace has got you. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old man. I've been with my girlfriend for six years. The problem today is that we have not had sex in over three years due to my girlfriend's lack of interest in sex. I have voiced my needs and expressed openness to work on this problem in many different ways. However, I finally come to the realization that she is not taking my concerns as a priority. In the past, I've made excuses for this lack of progress because of, you know, busy lives, graduate school, new jobs, not being financially stable. But we finally moved into a place together. We're renting and are financially stable. And I've still been pushing to work on this issue and no progress has been made. I've grown resentful towards her. And I'm beginning to question if this is just too much damage that's been done to my trust Mm -hmm. um, to ever trust her to, you know, repair the relationship moving forward. At this point, do you think giving couples therapy or some other time of intervention is possible or should I just, you know, move on? Move on. Don't throw good time after bad. Don't waste any more effort here. You've given it three years. You say you've been together six years. It's been a sexless relationship for three years. You've addressed this, you've worked on it, you've talked about it, you've strategized in a million different ways you might approach your girlfriend about it. Either your girlfriend, who is apparently happy with things as they are, you just moved in with each other, you just got an apartment together, she is content in a sexless relationship, you are not content in a sexless relationship, and she is content, it seems, with your discontent. That is a price your discontent, that she is willing to pay to have the relationship that she would like to have, which is essentially a sexless one. Maybe she's asexual. Maybe she's gray sexual. Talking about that endlessly with a couples counselor isn't going to change that. If what you want at 26, oh my God, if what you want is a relationship that involves a lot of passion, sex, fucking, which is not an asshole thing to want or an unreasonable thing to expect in a relationship in your mid twenties, go get it, go find it, go get that from somebody else. You're not going to get those orgasms from this turnip. You're not going to get that blood from this stone. And you have my permission to stop trying. You have tried. I don't think ever in the whole history of sexless relationships has a talking cure worked. Like, If you want to fuck somebody, you want to fuck them. If you don't want to fuck them, no amount of couples counseling or talking about why it is you aren't fucking or how it is you might start fucking ever seems to help. Yes, couples counseling can help if there's been 
a breakdown in communication, if some resentments have built up over mutual taking each other for granted, there may be a sexual disconnect or some sexual withholding that's going on because there's other issues, anger, resentment, whatever, that are interfering with an established sexual connection. But I don't think that's the case here and I don't think that's the case often. The time to end this relationship was probably before you signed that lease. The second best time to end this relationship, right fucking now. Hey everybody, I have another idea about passing the time. Let's all go back to bed. Let's all take a nap. It just seems like the best strategy at this point. Or maybe that seems like the best strategy to me because I own a Helix mattress. Do you? You might wanna. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. Everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, Helix has got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers at the top. It's the perfect combination for comfort and support. I took the Helix sleep quiz with Terry and we were matched with a Midnight Luxe mattress because I wanted something that had medium firmness and Terry and I both tend to move around a lot at night, sometimes even when we're asleep. I don't even want to remember our old mattress. Good riddance to that old mattress. Not only is our new mattress, our Helix mattress, the best we've ever slept on, but the setup was fast and easy. Helix mattresses are delivered in a box straight to your door for free. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, I know you will, but if you don't, just hypothetically, if you don't, Helix will pick it up for you and give you a full refund. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com savage. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a 35-year-old man in a long-standing, ethically non-monogamous relationship with a smoking hot woman. We both love sex and have sex with each other regularly with no performance issues on my part. We were recently introduced to a group of friends who attend kink and sex events together and ended up observing and participating in a couple of group sex orgy situations with six or more other people in the room. Now, in the past, we've done a few MFM threesomes and I have had some trouble getting and maintaining an erection with there being another guy in the room. But in this new orgy setup, I'm just not getting an erection at all. Obviously, with it being a whole new sexual experience and a significant jump in the number of people involved, I appreciate that there is a lot to process and I'm not as yet comfortable and confident with it all. I guess I'm feeling more in awe and shock of what's happening around me than sexually aroused. But beyond that, I think I may be intimidated by the mere presence of other men and their seeing me naked. I do remember that as a young child, I always felt more comfortable getting naked in front of women, say my mother or aunt, than men in my family. I'm also generally not sexually attracted to men, and I've never had sex on my own with another man. While I find myself enjoying these situations as is, and I'm not putting too much pressure on myself in terms of having penetrative sex or, or maintaining an erection, and I'm sure I'll get more comfortable with them as I participate more and get more experienced, there is a niggling worry that I won't ever get over this aspect of it at all. My partner and I agree that next time we'll take time for foreplay with each other and she'll definitely sit on my face, one of my biggest turn-ons, which hopefully will help, and either way will be lots of fun. But I'm wondering if there's any advice that you can give that I can work on myself. Your partner lavishing attention on you at these orgies is a good strategy. Your partner sitting on your face, uh, which will instantly 
block your view of all the other men who might be in the room with you at the time. Also a good strategy. The only way to find out if you're going to get comfortable enough uh, in a room with other men in it who are being sexual, who have their hard dicks out, is to go to those rooms again and again and again and see if your comfort grows. See if you acclimate erotically, sexually, if your dick acclimates to the presence of other men. If it doesn't, if there's just some sort of circuit breaker, if other men with their dicks out is a kind of kryptonite for your dick, a dictonite, then that's some mystery of your sexuality that you just have to accept. Maybe it's a hang up. How long, if you go to another dozen of these parties, do you have to work on it to get past it? And the answer is, well, I guess as long as it takes and it may never be something that you can get past doesn't mean you can't attend these events with your partner. If you're not having panic attacks, if it's not traumatizing you, the fact that you can't become aroused in these spaces doesn't disqualify you from entering one. You can be there with your partner. You can keep your pants or your underpants on or wear some, you say it's a kink event, wear some fetish attire where your dick ain't out and it's not really much of an issue whether your dick is hard at any given moment because you're not going to be fucking anybody with it or having anybody pay any attention to your dick because you're wearing, I don't know, locked leather chastity shorts, which are a thing. And if you go to a kink orgy wearing a pair of those, what that says to everybody is you're there, you're there to have fun, but you're not there for any direct stimulation of your genitals, but hey, you're available to directly stimulate other people's genitals with your mouth or your hands, uh, other women's, you know, only wanting to play with women, even at a group event where there are men and women and non-binary folks is a legit boundary. That's a legit way to move through and function in the world. You don't want to be in a place like that, if you're the kind of man who is going to shriek and have a heart attack or an intensely homophobic overreaction if another man who happens to be naked should brush against you on the way to the buffet or the bathroom, well, then you shouldn't go to an event like that because there's probably going to be some incidental contact. And if, you know, there's some people who are so homophobic, have such gay sex panic, then any incidental contact with a member of their same sex freaks them out. Doesn't sound like that's the case with you. Enjoy it to the extent you are capable of enjoying these events with your partner. And maybe you'll grow more comfortable. Maybe you'll come to enjoy them more. Maybe you'll literally be able to enjoy them so much that you can come at them, get hard and come at them. Maybe you won't. But so long as you're enjoying yourself, not feeling traumatized, not ruining it for other people and able to enjoy the pleasure that your presence provides for your partner, that she's able to go to these events with you, with her date. And that helps her feel sexy or helps her feel safe and relaxed and comfortable and sexy to have you there with her. Then that's great. And if your dick never, ever gets hard, that's fine. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I am calling on behalf of a good friend. She is a cis-hetero female who is in a long-term marriage with a military man. Their relationship up until this point has been fairly non-sexual. When she first got married, the lack of sex wasn't a big deal. She actually told me that she felt he was more so her best friend and not someone she was extremely attracted to. However, the past couple of years, she felt she needed more, to the point of searching outside their marriage. Very recently, she told our friend group that she had been talking to a man in a sexual nature and was dying to fuck him, or at least someone with a big dick. Being a long-term listener like I am, I gave her some pointers on how to approach her husband with the idea of opening up their relationship. She felt very appreciative of my, well, your point of view. Even more recently, he went through her phone and found the conversation between her and this other man. Of course, he was very upset and asked her to leave. Within hours, he messaged her and asked her to come home and talk about it. I'm not exactly sure what was said, but it pushed them forward into a sexual searching adventure, one where they were trying different things, new positions, etc. She talked to me about it and said that she still wasn't satisfied and just wants to be fucked by a big cock. I know there have been many episodes where you discuss how to approach an open relationship, and I really want to help her out and not have this turn into a situation of a pud. Can you please give any advice on how she can move forward with her husband or do you think this is a dead-end marriage and they should part ways? 
how's the sex they're having now? I can't really answer the question as to whether this is a dead-end marriage and they should part ways. If I don't know how the sex she's suddenly having with her husband now, now that her husband felt motivated enough, I guess, to start experimenting or had that load to Damascus feeling that people sometimes get when they realize that they're long-term partners, that they aren't fucking and are taking for granted, that there's somebody else out there in the world who wants to fuck their partner. And then suddenly you want to fuck your partner again, or you want to fuck your partner passionately and aggressively in a welcome way, aggressively in a welcome way, that you hadn't wanted to fuck your partner before. If her husband's had some sort of infidelity, awareness, threat level epiphany, and now he really wants to not work on it, but have it, and it's good, well, how long is the wanting to have it going to go on? And is your friend satisfied? And I, I guess whether the sex is good or not, your friend isn't satisfied. She wants other dick. And so there's no avoiding the pud possibility, the poly under duress or open under duress, out possibility by going to her husband, by her having to go to her husband if she wants to do this ethically and saying, this is great. I'm really glad we're fucking now. It's still not enough. I would like to have sex with other people. I want to open the relationship on both sides. I want to go occasionally have sex with somebody else and you are free to do the same. And we've been married for however long we've been married. We've been mostly companionate. We haven't had a strong sexual connection, but we've had a pretty good marriage absent that strong sexual connection. We can attempt to forge a strong sexual connection, but I don't think that's going to be enough. But even if we did have a stronger sexual connection, I'm still going to want to fuck other people. We have a stronger sexual connection right now than we've ever had in the entire history of our marriage, and I still want to fuck other people. Sometimes you got to say the thing you want to say, and there's not a way to frame it or couch it or slip it in where the other person's feelings aren't going to be hurt or it's not going to cause a crisis or it's not going to result in somebody agreeing under duress, under a kind of emotional duress, to open the relationship up to save it. And people want to say that's always wrong, that you should never force, quote unquote, force somebody to agree, to consent to an open relationship that they don't want to have. But I've spoken to so many people over the years who were initially PUDs, poly under duress, or AUDs, open under duress, and who are now happily poly and grateful to be poly or to be open and are look back on that conversation as painful as it was with gratitude because not only is their partner happier in the open or poly relationship that they're in now, but they're happier. Even if they weren't so happy about it at first. Doesn't always happen that way. Doesn't always play out that way. Sometimes people are puds or outs and then the relationship ends but sometimes the story plays out very differently. And your friend's story could play out in such a way where she gets to keep her husband, keep her marriage, and get that other big dick too. But she's going to have to risk it. She's going to have to risk asking for what it is she clearly wants and not asking you, her girlfriend, but asking or telling her husband. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some comments on last week's Lovecast posted at savage.love. NIN Girl Jane writes, One of the callers on this week's episode referred to HSV-1 as mouth herpes, but my gynecologist told me that HSV-1 and HSV-2 are simply different strains of the same virus and neither one applies to any specific part of the body. I used to think HSV-1 affected the mouth and HSV-2 affected the genitals, just like the caller did, but I was incorrect, wanted to pass this information along. HSV-1 went by oral herpes and HSV-2 went by genital herpes, that's what doctors called them, for so long that it's easy to fall back into the trap of using oral genital herpes as shorthand, but it is inaccurate. As doctors noted, even back when they were making that oral genital distinction that was false, they would tell you you get oral on your genitals and genitals on your orals. So these strains, for the record, of the virus didn't make a distinction, and we shouldn't either. To paraphrase Lynn manuel Miranda, herpes is herpes is herpes. On that same subject from the same show, Marco writes, Regarding the question about disclosing herpes, I've heard you recurrently tell listeners not to disclose their status in casual sex slash hookup contexts. 
E.g., grinder. While I can understand your justification for this decision, I wouldn't want listeners to be inadvertently encouraged to lie about their HSV status. I think an important caveat would be that if somebody asks you directly about your STI slash health status, if you have HSV, you should disclose. I agree. People should honestly answer direct questions. And I don't tell callers not to disclose that they have herpes to very casual sex partners, just that they aren't obligated to make a proactive disclosure at a bathhouse or a sex club or to a grinder hookup. There is a distinction there, and I think it's a distinction with a difference. And finally, I got tagged into a conversation on a social media platform that shall remain nameless, a social media platform we're trying not to platform on our platform anymore, but I got tagged into a conversation about how not everyone in a polyamorous couple is thrilled about that. Said Arditi, seems like a fair number of poly couples have one psyched about it and the other person going along because they are afraid of losing that person, which sucks. That's true, and it can suck. And we talk about that a lot. PUDs, people who are poly under duress, but one person going along with it because they're afraid of losing their partner if they don't agree. The same can be said of many people in monogamous relationships. There are MUDs out there too, people who are monogamous under duress. There are probably, in real numbers, way more MUDs than PUDs, if only because there are way more monogamous couples out there than poly or open couples. But when a monogamous relationship falls apart, even if monogamy contributed to the destruction of that relationship, it doesn't confirm most people's priors. But when polyamory does, or polyamorous relationships fall apart, people are like, see, that's what happens. Not always. I got a text message this morning wishing me and my husband a happy 28th anniversary from my husband's boyfriend. All right. Thanks to everybody who posted at savage.love about the show this week. And thanks to everybody who posted to your own social media accounts about Savage Love. We really appreciate how you spread the word about the show on social media. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. I work in sexual and reproductive health, and I was just listening to your response for the really concerned individual who got HSV-1 years ago and is dealing with stigma. I thought that your response was like spot on. I really, really appreciated it. I tell people all the time, herpes is a skin condition and for the vast majority of people, so not a big deal. So not a big deal. My best friend told me that she had someone who she thought had herpes and she was like, should I have sex with them? And I just asked, do you like him? Do you want to have sex with them? Because herpes is so not a big deal for so many people. It's really, really common, and it's a skin thing, and you can take meds, and your life's going to be fine. Hi, Dan. This is Jim from episode 828, and my reply is really long overdue. So to review, my husband called in and described the situation when we were at a gay resort, and a drunk guy with a beard came up to me and said, do you mind? And started stroking and admiring my beard without waiting for consent. My husband pointed out that he does mind and monkeypox. He then asked if there was a nice way for me to say no when asked. Your response involved both a discussion of the need for consent before touching any part of someone's body, but also your hunch was that it was very telling that my husband was the one calling in and not me, and you wondered what I thought. So here's my embarrassing confession. I heard that episode while I was running, and I thought to myself, what an uncanny resemblance this situation was to my own situation. But I didn't recognize my husband's voice, and I don't use the name Jim. I intended to tell him about the call, but I forgot all about it. He doesn't listen to the love cast, so he assumed you never played his call. Now, fast forward, months later, our friends commented that they recognized his voice and knew the question was about us. We both looked a bit shocked, and our friends were afraid that they had touched on a sore subject between us. So here's my response. First, Dan, you were spot on with your hunch that it wasn't a problem for me. I actually like it when guys admire me and want to touch my beard. It's a boost to my self-confidence. Second, this happened at the height of the monkeypox outbreak. So my husband's main concern at the time was monkeypox. 
My husband and I are totally sexually monogamous, but we both enjoy playful flirting and a little affectionate touching of other guys. We're both now having a good laugh about this, and he's enjoying teasing me about how clueless I was to not recognize his voice, which I freely admit. Thanks, Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm calling with a follow-up on the woman whose sister-in-law and mother-in-law, maybe both, were being just awful to her after it was disclosed that uh, she and her husband had an open relationship. You often say that uh, your only leverage is your presence. This lady has a lot more than that. She has the grandchildren's presence. And because of a U.S. Supreme Court case called Troxel v. Granville, it's actually really difficult to force parents to give anybody visits. So what you're holding is even more valuable than your own presence. You have those grandbabies. And if they're going to be awful, you cut them off from those grandkids and you tell them that until they can behave themselves, they're not seeing your children again, they're not seeing you again, and they can go stuff it. I totally agree with Dan that you want to be with people who value you and respect you. And if your in-laws can't do that, then they don't get to see you or your kids. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email us your question or comment at q at savage.love. You can also call us still at 206-302-2064. I will be hosting Savage Love Live tomorrow at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. It's a special Wednesday edition of my live show where I'll be answering questions live on Zoom during a hangout with my Magnum subs. You'll get a link in your email boxes tomorrow morning, and we will also be posting the link at savage.love not already a sub become a magnum sub today at savage.love slash subscribe self-love day is coming right up february 13th valentine's day of course february 14th a magnum sub makes a great gift for you on self-love day and a great valentine's day gift for your boyfriend girlfriend and befriend your husband, wife, spouse, master, mistress, sir, gimp, sub, pup, keyholder, cuck, bull, all the special people in your life, in your bed, in your dungeon. Go to savage.love, click subscribe, and click give the gift of Magnum. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage and on post news at fake Dan Savage. Follow Lena Dune on Instagram at lena.dune and hopefully again at Ask a Sub. And check out Lena's website at askasub.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week in our installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.